0: Dithah Hadina Pabuni the Bocasto Mescle Bruyandruth Ostias Genev Sove Berryman. Hello and welcome everyone to the Mescle Bruyandruth Podcasts hosted by me, Sove Berryman. Mescle Druth is a multi platform project using sculpture-making and conversation to explore contemporary Cornish cultural identity. Through workshops, podcasts, a symposium and an exhibition, the project invites people to share their experiences of identity and Cornwall and their views on Cornish culture and its relationship to land, language, heritage, tourism, the Cornish diaspora and much, much more. These podcasts record conversations with guests whose research or lived experience touches on the project themes. The views, thoughts and opinions expressed are the speaker's own. All conversations are carried out with a spirit of generosity and openness, creating space for the discussions to twist and turn. And I'm very grateful to all who have taken part. For this 10th and last in the 2022 Mescla podcast series, I'm joined by Aminprit Sandee. Aminprit is a London based curator and educator with a focus on expanded exhibition practices, pedagogy and widening participation in the arts and arts education, and collaborative approaches to working. She is currently a senior lecturer on the Fine Art Programme at Chelsea College of Arts, London. We join the conversation with Amon Pritt, telling us a bit more about her work and research. Govene burs we thom loen hay goes loe
1: auto. I hope you enjoy listening. Yeah, so... Um... I'm a curator and educator, or I work as a curator and educator. I think there's a difference. I'm not just that. Um, and I'm based in London. Um, my kind of interests over the last decade have been um, supporting artists through residencies, commissioning, and it's usually outside of the context um, of galleries and museums. So I'm interested in how um, audiences can connect to art in wider contexts. Um, historically that's been in biennials Um, so I worked on the 2010 Liverpool Biennial and that really formed a lot of my um, thinking and I'll come to that when I talk about placemaking and thinking through ideas of cultural capital um, which is what I wanted to focus in on with you and what does that mean when we look at somewhere like Cornwall and if, if that's even relevant in the time that we're in Um, And over the last few years, I've become more interested in um, public programmes and also residencies as a way of supporting artistic practice um, and also just alternative ways in which um, audiences can think about sort of making as well. Um, Yeah. And at the moment, I work as senior lecturer at the Chelsea College of um, Art in London. And I've gone back to, I guess, the more formal art school because I was supporting alternative programmes and I worked at somewhere called the Wising Arts Centre in Cambridge um, on something called Syllabus, which was an alternative to art education um, programmes in universities. But what I was learning was that the um, artists that were coming through these alternative programmes had graduated from art schools or they had done their BAs or MAs and they needed professional development support. But what I wasn't seeing was um, artists from different socioeconomic um, backgrounds. And my feeling was actually sort of art school is still a really important place to attract those students that do come from different experiences. Um, and I, I, I was committed at that point, which was a year and a half ago, and I still am in ideas around um widening participation um yeah so that's a kind of potted history of yeah where I'm at but I'm I'm really excited by what you're doing and I said to you I wanted to kind of grapple with these terms placemaking and cultural capital partly because they feel like um things that the work I've been done has been influenced by but they're words that are in the realm of um I guess kind of um Maybe bureaucracy and you know planning design they 're quite off putting, but they have somehow like in a kind of unconscious way through the process of osmosis like filtrated into my kind of language and i'm i'm interested in that um, and like I said to you what what does that mean when we think about places like um Cornwall and you sent me a really interesting text which focused on um canadian histories and indigenous histories and you asked me to look at it as a way as a counteraction or, or maybe you know a way of sort of providing a different lens into this and it was there was one key word place thought and yeah i don't know this is these are some of my tentative thoughts <laughs>
0: and this and that text uh just to say was sent to me by stephanie pratt who um is a is also a guest within the podcast, and we've had conversations when I was forming this project. Um, just to go back to you, something around those, like those words and that thing around languages, mm. um, that these terms, like cultural capital, placemaking, of course, they, um, they come into the language, they come into some people's language, and then they're spoken by certain institutions or by certain representatives um, to other people who don't necessarily know what they mean. I mean, I I asked you to talk a bit about placemaking because I really struggle with exactly what that means and I find it very problematic at a term if I just as a term, if I just take those two words, placemaking, put together. I immediately feel really resistant to them. Um, Most, I mean, it feels like a really colonial term to me, really capitalist term. Um, So I'm, yeah, so I asked you to sort of think around it a bit as we spoke about to kind of help to break that down a bit as well. And Red Reef, where this project is centred, is having a lot of this language kind of used about it presently yeah um so it feels really pertinent to consider it in relation to
1: i think the first thing to say is it's something i'm thinking through um constantly um and i think my interpretation of it is through the experiences i've had um through working at the liverpool biennial two years on from then becoming the european capital of culture and it's something i really do kind of associate with local government or um you know sort of town planning, um, design and management. And I think you're right in being kind of, I guess, ambivalent ambivalent towards the term because it does feel political and it is because it really questions like the nature of like place identity. I, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, places, uh, I essentially believe place is something more intangible and what placemaking is, is essentially thinking about it in terms of planning, design, management and looking at how sort of, um, within that context, how people have a set of assets that can contribute to ideas of um, what a place can be. But it's starting from a very, you know, top-down place. And that that doesn't mean that, you know, community and grassroots Yeah, there can't be a community or grassroots approach to placemaking, but I don't think anyone would ever call it that. So this idea of placemaking, when I think about it, has been through, or has, or what I have, yeah, the way I see it has been informed by how I've been introduced to it, which has been through working in organisations that have been involved in that work, if they know it or not. So At the time I was working at the Liverpool Biennial, which was from 2011, they had just delivered um, and had been quite pivotal in um, getting the European capital of culture. And when I started, they had a programme called Urbanism, which I thought was amazing. It was was speaking to all those things I was interested in. And I think maybe it's important to talk about my background. I'm um, a second generation um, immigrant. Or like or I am second generation my folks were um, first generation came from the Punjab in India and I grew up in a place called Hounslow in West London which I know you know because you've lived there um, <laughs> which is a yeah. very upwardly mobile um, community every you know decade there's a new community coming into Hounslow um, and I think I, I had a very um, more i had a very fluid idea of what culture was because it was always there it was never framed and it and i didn't understand it through like um the prism of galleries or museums it was just something that was always sort of present in both like my family life and how um young people presented themselves um at school through what they wore through talking about what they ate so i think i've had a very kind of expanded idea of what um culture was but what I was aware of was I was very interested in this thing called art but that there were um kind of barriers or there was a language to you know how um you spoke about art and I was learning that through my kind of Fyden books or penguin books I was reading I was like oh okay I'll, I'll just learn how to sort of grapple with this and I can enter this um enter this world But through all of that, I knew, for example, my mum doesn't speak English and it's something that um, she's never um, completely got a grasp of. I knew that there were barriers and that was exacerbated when I went to art school as well. I can kind of talk a bit more about this, but all of this was to say, while I was on my own journey working out what sort of fine art meant to me and what I needed from it and, you know, what I was interested in, I also was aware that there was sort of barriers and I was questioning why sort of art was contained in the white cube or galleries and museums. So from very early on, partly from my own kind of cultural experiences from a young age, I was interested in sort of how art could filtrate outside of the museum and gallery. Um, And I remember very clearly the... um, application I put in to get to the Liverpool Biennial because it was part of an MA was called Back in 10 Minutes and it was looking at um, the high road in Brent, Wembley High Road and how the shops that were being closed down could be used as sort of gallery spaces, temporary gallery spaces to think through With the local council, what was um, taking place in terms of the area changing, and some of it was really naive. But even at that point, I was thinking about what voice can local people have and how art can be involved in that. And when I say some of it was quite naive, it was also sort of completely feeding into (laughs) ideas of how, like, you know, you kind of regenerate. But this is why I was interested in the context of the Liverpool Biennial. Um, and I think very early on you go to a place and you just absorb everything and I think my ideas of placemaking were completely connected to, okay, well you just bring art in and then something interesting will happen and I think what's happened over the 10 years preceding that is that I've, you know, I guess I've, there's a politics to all of that um, and understanding sort of where I stand Um Again, that's that sounds really vague, but I think going back to this idea of place identity, um, I, I feel kind of really critical now about that top-down approach. But I do feel like if it's community-driven and um, sort of grassroots, there is there is you know something interesting that can happen, and there have been projects that the Liverpool Biennial was involved in um, that, yeah showed that. I also went on to work at the Folkstrom Triennial which again was bringing art to a place that had been um, in many ways kind of neglected but it was supported and continues to be supported by someone called Roger Hahn, who um, also you know comes from a background of owning lots of um, over 65 sort of um what do you call them? I, I forgot I've forgotten the term, but holiday homes. So it was him and his family that <laughs> you know meant that places like Folkestone became um I guess kind of different um and not as affluent because there was an attraction to have your holiday home abroad. Um so uh, and I'm interested in all those kind of politics, mm. the hand that gives and the hand that um takes away. Um and again, I know like Sove, this is all quite um quite loose, but um and I, I guess the chat that I wanted with you is you know thinking about you know how we can rethink placemaking because I do feel like um the work that I was involved in, like commissioning in public spaces, um there is you know lots of kind of facets to that as well. There's organizations like future cities um who have more of a I guess almost like a corporate approach to it where they work with developers and um, their idea of placemaking is slightly different from other places that are taking, you know, more of a kind of community-centred approach. Um, But I I still feel like it's – I wanted to flag it up because it made me think about your project in Red Roof and I was like, what relevance, you know, does it have and what does it mean to – yeah, to normal, not normal people, to people who aren't involved yeah. in that. Because I spoke to my dad uh, about placemaking. He's like, I don't even understand what you mean. Because he was like, it's something that's always just happening. You know, he he was like, everywhere's always in flux. So this idea is kind of connected to, um, you know, a bigger agenda. And it was just good to kind of hear him kind of talk um, from his perspective. Um, yeah. It's,
0: I think some of what you say really chimes from that sense of like um, growing up in a place where there wasn't art readily available. um, Well, there was loads in a way, but not like the art that I'm involved in now, not the art that I experienced once I went to art school. And I suppose being... um, like, I, I felt when I went to art school, like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. <laughs> this is, like, the best experience. And I, I, I feel really validated j- just with almost everything I do um, feels OK here. Mm. And it was wondrous. And then I was really excited about sort of doing that. Oh, I, I I was very lucky to have done a degree at University of East London in Plasto where they had a residency program in the the second and third years of the degree which um you could do instead of writing a dissertation and uh so I was really eager to do that which enabled me to sort of work in a city farm mudsheet city farm on the isle of dogs and then um my elected residency was in a dive centre in Shoreham. Amazing. <laughs> for my third <laughs> year. Um, but then coming coming home, like I always just wanted to make that kind of artwork visible, I suppose, mm. just on the street, just really accessible. But then there is a link to or opening up those pathways to gentrification and what you touched upon about this thing around working with the empty shops Mm. in, um, Brent. Um, so yeah, it seems like a really good idea. Doesn't it take over these shop spaces and then you think about, oh, this is like part of paving that way and becoming instrumentalized by a whole other agenda. Um, Tonya Liu of Cultivator and I um put on a put together a symposium in 2019 around gentrification and arts relationship Mm. with it and I think it's quite an uncomfortable relate you know it's 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 full of tension isn't it how do we do the things we want to do in the kind of place where we can perhaps make it more visible and allow these sort of very simple interactions and with art
1: yeah and I've always
0: but at the same t- yeah. time not open those other doorways yeah. and
1: I think it's a constant grappling because um I think the last time when I was really grappling with this in a kind of personal and sort of real way trying to understand my edges and you know and boundaries or yeah my politics around this was when I was working with art on the underground and specifically I was fleshing out the um, community engagement programme for the Northern Line extension. So the Northern Line um, runs north to south across London, um, ending in Morden. But there were two new stations that were going to be extended from Kennington Station to Nine Elms and Battersea. Um, And my job was to um, engage with the community and get them ready for this change. But what I was finding, and I was also fleshing out, okay, what type of conversations could we have um, in the run-up to that and the three years kind of preceding the um, station's opening? um, There were some really interesting artists who wanted to talk about um, the more uncomfortable side of the conversation, which was that their um, local area which had not been connected. So, you know, transport is one way that also supports gentrification as well. Um, so an area which hadn't kind of been connected, but is, you know, so close to central London, um, what what were the effects um, on local people and their understanding of how, you know, their area is going to change in community? And the response I had from Transport for London and Art on the Underground is that really they didn't, Want any of the artists that were suggested that were um, kind of dealing more with um, giving the community a voice but they were more interested in artists who were um, celebratory about what was going Mm. to happen and you know I did deliver the first commission and you know to be fair um, there was a lot going on at Transport for London but it made me feel quite uncomfortable that we couldn't open up a more um I guess, kind of a more complex conversation. It's okay to celebrate, but also at the same time um, work with the community to, I guess, give them space to air their concerns. But it felt there was no room, and I had to leave that um, programme and leave my sort of work there because it just felt... um, quite uncomfortable and I just took some time out and ended up working at King's College in their student services because I was like okay I don't quite know where I am now with this commissioning because I always was excited about working on art on the underground but what what I've ended up working on just feels quite problematic and I couldn't find a way through but that said you know they did end up working with the really interesting artist who looked at um queer communities and the historical sort of um, um, communities that lived around sort of Vauxhall um, and Nine Elms and so there was something good that came out of it but at that time I couldn't negotiate that to take place and it was quite difficult so I think personal agency in all these projects has always been yeah difficult to negotiate um, for me as well I did want to quickly go back to ideas around placemaking because I think for me, mm-hmm. I'm interested in people, but where the placemaking comes from, it is from, you know, planning and design and, you know, management. And I think I forget there's, you know, you think about placemaking and it's, um, equated to everything from, you know, the size of a pavement or like planted area to, so I, I think I just wanted to flag that I'm looking at, or my understanding of placemaking is very, you know, people-centred, um, but it is more than that. So, you know, and I want to kind of also flag I'm not an expert in placemaking. I just find the terminology, that and cultural capital, <laughs> quite, quite interesting because it's things that, you know, I I was involved in without sort of knowing myself. Um And, yeah, so I just wanted to flag that.
0: Yeah, now, and in thinking, then, returning to placemaking, Mm. how what were your responses or thoughts in then referencing, like, place thought?
1: Yeah, I I thought it was... I mean, it's a completely different worldview. So um, I've forgotten, and I... Um, and you can tell me, like, who wrote the text and um, the, the name of the text, because I think it's important to just um, state yeah, that. Vanessa, what? Okay. Um, so, what I loved about Place Thought is that it's completely kind of framed in a different kind of context and worldview. And right from the off, they're talking about cosmologies. And just to go back a bit or step back a bit. This is a text which looks at indigenous culture and knowledge in North America, Canada, and is talking about um, people's relationship to land and I think it's a couple of words came into mind it's a completely different way of thinking about ideas around kind of place um, because it's fluid, it's interconnected, like interbeing being felt like a really important um word because. Throughout the whole text, there's um, a relationship with land and people, which is almost spiritual. So it just starts from a completely different place. And um, when I talk about placemaking, we're talking about like capital, we're talking about um, ideas of placemaking existing in a really different way, and even, you know, cultural capital. Um, when I think about that, you know, and when I got to university, it was understanding what I needed to know and how I needed to present myself to move through this world. Um, and I always kind of connect cultural capital to class because that's that's what it kind of meant to me at that point. And I was like, okay, so there's a set of codes and a way of being to enter the, something that's maybe called high culture, and I'll learn that And that will give me the cultural capital to like just um, sort of work and move in the places that I I want um, and to start making sense again of where I want to exist in these like um, worlds or like the different art worlds there are. But that text is just um, taking just a completely different approach, um, which, you know, is equated to kind of more of an indigenous worldview and um, framework so I think in some ways there's not even any kind of comparison it's just so different and it's you know it's really exciting but it's really difficult to sort of look at that and then think about where we are because it's a completely different paradigm and and you know Mm -hmm. as a result and this these are the problematics that are kind of flagged in the text um where they where they talk about language and how like the knowledge systems that um she's interested and invested in have been kind of seen as pre-modern or just yeah just like from a different time or even um I guess you know not sort of valid at all if you um Think about Western thought. Um, and I think another key thing that I walked away from, how important storytelling was, and I was thinking about that a lot in terms of how cultural capital is passed down. Um, it's it's something that's really um, key in um, South Asian culture as well, storytelling. And it's just something I really wanted to ask you about that tradition in Cornwall, mm-hmm. because that's that's a sort of... Im- and embodied knowledge felt like it was really important in place thought as well. Um, Mm. So yes, starting from a completely different place, I felt so. Uh, um, And there'll be um, on the
0: website, there's a resources page and um, the link to the uh, decolonization, indigeneity education and society publication is on on that resources page so people can have a look at Vanessa Walk's text. Mm. Um and thank you to Steph for sharing mm-hmm. it. Um yeah um so sort of storytelling and sense of place my experience in Cornwall and um is that I feel very much sort of physically part of this place. Mm. So almost like a term I often use is like granite at the core. Wow. So okay. the physicality of the place is within mm. you and almost um, that your body is is suited to that mm. land. Um, and that's a sort of... Um, well, um, I don't know what the right word would be for it, but not not dialect necessarily, but part of the sort of lo- like very local sort of Cornish parlance would be around jokes around being um, sort of squat and um, in in a physical form so that you can get down the mines and don't get blown over by the winds Um And there's lots of legend storytelling around, like knockers in the mines and the giants that have helped to form the landscape through their arguments and disputes, Um, Cornish language place names and dialect terms and words, that you don't understand a dialect until you leave. So, uh, yes, there is that sense storytelling and there there's that sense of being embodied knowing who you were however what I've very much been finding is that that is slipping Mm. and um you know that there's less of that and um one of the I mentioned my interest in tourism to you and one of the things is that of course um I mean, I'm not a, a specialist in capitalism, but it seems to me that what capitalism does very well is commodify almost anything it can get its hands on. So those stories and tales become commodified, sort of cellophane-wrapped, resold, and they're not just resold to a visiting public who may want to purchase them a memory, they're also resold to the inhabitants of this place so it becomes more difficult there's a bit more kind of work to yeah. do within our own sense of self oh is that is that uh history or that story the one that is cellophane wrapped or put on a bbc program or or is it the one that i don't know my grand's telling me or my uncle or that fella down the pub or whatever mm.
1: and that's so interesting because added to that is every generation will have um i guess a different set of urgencies um you know that forms their sense Mm. of kind of self and place as well um both to the land and in the world as well um so that's yeah that's really interesting and i don't know if this is kind kind of connected but last week i was in port isaac um we had a few tours because we just wanted to me and my partner wanted to know a bit more about the fishing um history but so much of a narrative was around um Doc Martin which was filmed in Port Isaac it's quite cringy um but it it has been a really important part of Port Isaac's kind of revival um and it was strange to us because we've never watched it and it's it's also brought in all the tourism and the money, but it's, but it's kind of, yeah. I mean, it's kind of older history, but has become secondary. So I was quite, I was quite interested in why people were there. It, it is a really beautiful, picturesque place, but I think what you said about that cellophane wrapped history, and and the kind of history that's kind of known to the locals as well, um, and that kind of merging, was just on show in a really interesting way because there were lots of um there were lots of community members we worked out um that had migrated down from London in the late eighties and the nineties to that part of the world. Um so they were part of like, you know, a new kind of community coming into um Port Isaac, yet they were bemoaning what was happening. Um, (laughs) which made me think a lot about sort of you know um, this thing that you have to balance out which is places are always changing and they're in flux and actually you know um, it's part and parcel of how you know and historically people have moved around that's just what we do as um, humans but how how we kind of you know think of that and sort of manage that or, or what happens when we kind of cry back to a sort of particular or become nostalgic about um a particular era but going back to storytelling you know I I feel there's real agency and that's something else that was present in the text thinking about agency in place as well because if I go back to the projects that I worked on um at the Liverpool Biennial then at the Folkestone um Triennial then Art on the Underground um I would always say that I was interested in the context and what role art could kind of play in these conversations. But I think, again, you know, there was a formula to the way in which we worked. So we always kind of um, had quite strict parameters and there was not a lot of space for things to really, um, I guess, kind of shift or grow for us to have really open dialogues and that's what has really made me kind of rethink about some of my approach to commissioning and I'm really interested in durational and longer term sort of art projects in places I think those are the ones that um, really kind of rethink ideas around placemaking. and there's always an artist and a project I go back to so there's an artist called Rick Lowe, us-based artist who started up um something called um project row um houses and it was in houston um texas in the third ward i think but i might have that wrong and he did do exactly that you know that there was a sort of deprived area within his neighborhood he wanted to provide resources for the afro-american community of whom he was part of But this is like a project that's 20, well, maybe not 20 years, but it's over a decade old. And I think if we are, the the projects now that I'm more interested in are the ones that um, have a kind of long-term durational approach. And then I think we can really have interesting conversations around placemaking and art. Otherwise, I do think that on the whole... um, arts usually kind of utilised in a particular way or, you know, a particular formula. And that's not all bad because, you know, there are, I still do the work because I think there are opportunities for artists to learn. And I think that it's still important to have their voice if there is going to be development and there always is and there is like regeneration and there always seems to be. I think arts, the arts needs to be involved in that 100%. But um, it definitely shifted my approach. And I think um, that's quite key for me now, thinking about more long-term durational approaches and embeddings through um, longer-term projects with the community. And I think, um, you know, examples like um, Heart of Glass, which is based in the north of England, their work is really interesting and community-focused. They do work with artists, but it's... It's not an organisation that's on the radar of many people unless you're kind of committed to socially engaged work or social practice and the arts. And then there's also um, an organisation called Super Slow Way, um, which is directed by Laurie Peake. And again, just has a kind of more nuanced and interesting way of thinking about um, art's role in like a place. Um, yeah, and <laughs> I think they're important so, to flag. But I just don't think we're there in terms of... I love these texts that I read that you shared, Sobe, that really are talking about a completely different paradigm and a way of connecting to kind of land. And your example of, you know, talking about graphite... Um, granite. granite. Not graphite. <laughs> completely different. <laughs> but this, like, really this is solid, sturdy, you know um kind of material it's just we're not there that's all you know and I just just feel like we're talking about a complete kind of shift in like thinking and I'd love to see that and we need kind of voices but I, I feel there's a huge kind of gap between thinking about these things in the realm of kind of maybe theory or thought or discourse and then what's happening um and what we're seeing but that's why projects like yours are so important because sometimes the work needs to be kind of slow quiet and yeah and not have an agenda and I'd have to say placemaking as I've experienced it through the projects I worked on always had an agenda and it was connected to regeneration and within that kind of you know model of progress so perhaps through yeah
0: these slower um more kind of durational mm. activities which i think like i can't help but connect that to the cornish term directly okay anyway which is like directly is it will happen kind of when mm. it happens you know um which is often interpreted as being slow and, i mean just slow in a in a negative sense um like slow slash dumb, but it's kind of just about pace Mm. and taking things with their pace, uh, with the pace that they require. Um, So potentially this place thought, uh, this different sensitivity to place could evolve if there was perhaps a will or an agenda to to do that, to encourage that approach. I mean do you
1: think that there's the potential for that yeah there's a you know it's a philosophical making. way of seeing the world and, and kind of being essentially and I think there's two things there um it's the will of like the artists and a community to want to do that and then there's the funding so I think uh, I can't separate sort of why why sort of we work in these particular formulaic ways why arts organizations are um kind of organized in the way they are um and it's very much connected to funding and why you know why we kind of work on a particular project then you report on it it's all kind of related to funding so I think there's two things that are uh, are needed there's a kind of will and a sort of way which is really maybe kind of idealistic a way of kind of being and um and a philosophical way of being in the world which needs to be kind of separated from that and then there's the practicalities that the reason why we're not seeing that is because funding has been kind of set up in a different way but that that means there's potential because within you know the community is the resource and what can you how can you kind of set things up differently where you kind of foreground that I don't know I think I don't want to, I don't want to get into a conversation about arts funding because it'd be so boring (laughs) to listen to. So I'm going to steer, I'm going to steer away, but I think I love what you're saying. um, But there's a reason why we've all fallen into the ways of working, you know, and in the realm of placemaking, it's because of um, particular policies that are being adhered to and pushed from local and, you know, central government. And um in terms of arts organizations and why we fall into particular patterns of programming and working it is connected to funding and how to get hold of funding um but there's something separate to that which which is embodied in that um place thought um yeah text which is a different kind of space but i'm you know i'm still thinking well how do you how do you kind of um bring those together or how can we learn from that and bring that into what we're, um, I guess, kind of working on as individuals as well. Hmm.
0: And it feels as though, I mean, I've been knocking about making art for a couple of decades now and, uh, I feel as though there have been a host of projects and artworks and shows that have looked at, um, that different kind of pace Mm. that have tried to explore, for instance, like development that makes space for weeds coming up through, you know, um, cracks in paving stones. (laughs) And um, it feels as though that with uh, finally more notice being taken of climate Mm. emergency, that there's a greater potential for that kind of... um, I don't know, like rewilding through through art activity, um, and perhaps rewilding of an aspect of the art world. um, I mean, to to gain traction. Yeah,
1: I think I think that's really interesting because it makes me think about urgency and what's at stake. Um, And I feel what you've said um, is really kind of um, important because there are definitely cyclical conversations and um ideas or kind of um discourse that's returned to in the arts and it feels cyclical because nothing really shifts it almost feels like sport you have these conversations and just having them is enough and it's only when something's really at stake may that be kind of personal or collective agency or, you know, something um, wider on a kind of global scale like climate change is that, yeah, things things are kind of really going to um, shift, which I think there is a possibility because all of us won't necessarily be able to kind of do things the way that we have done. Um, and again, it's a shame that it has to, you know, be... I was speaking to my mum about this because we were talking about, like, you see rain from a distance and you start preparing, or it's just, um, you know, kind of upon you and you're kind of running away from it, or it's sort of falling on you. And I feel like that's been our approach to um, climate change, that um, it's, you know, it's only now when it's falling on us, which in a kind of very abstract way I think like because of the way we've kind of set up society we're so committed to like the capitalist model that there's no way that um political leaders can think in any other kind of way and I'm saying this Mm -hmm. because it feels very macro micro but it is linked to how um arts organizations are kind of um organized as well it's only until like resources are going to be taken away or things are really at um, stake, that things are going to move for the art sector, um, which feels kind of, you know, sort of happening and maybe kind of more imaginative thought will take place. And then on a personal level, that idea of agency, again, in that text, is entwined to ideas of place. So this idea that you're so connected to place, what you do is going to have a real kind of knock-on effect um, on, you know, your kind of land you it's just a completely different way of thinking about those relationships um, and that's why placemaking um, you know is really interesting because that's where I started thinking about these things but I was taught something but inertly how I was kind of introduced to culture and ideas of place was completely the opposite and more in, in line with like place thought as described in that mm-hmm. text. Um, I'm rambling a bit now but I I feel like it's all connected but I'm interested in um, I know it's you know you bring guests on and we talk about sort of the things that we're interested in but I I just I wonder like um, how your thoughts on this are shifting as you're working on on the project and what's important to you because you know some of this just feels so like irrelevant um, I was thinking about my approach to how I teach young people and yes there's a set of skills absolutely 100% that I'm I've, I've, you know it's important to pass on to the students and it's about ways of looking ways of seeing supporting them to navigate um, you know the the world that they're potentially going to kind of enter but I also have this philosophy which is where I meet them where they are and um, it's really simple and basic, which is that you know, their their life experiences, their cultural touchstones are the starting point. And then I work to kind of build and build and support that as opposed to yeah, you know, telling them what they should they kind of should know, um and you know, the histories they um should be aware of, which are taught, but it's a different approach. And I just wondered yeah, like your approach to what you're doing and what's shifting and changing in importance? Um,
0: Well, um, I think, I mean, a thing that I've become aware of is still, it, it feels to me that there's conversation around... Yeah, placemaking that is still connected, and in fact, I heard someone use this term just recently about a develop a, a local arts development that was around the ambition for social mobility or creating paths for social mobility. Mm. And um, okay. again, that's another term that I find like really concerning, um, and I'm not I'm not keen yeah. on. Um, And it, so one of the things, it's a very, like, in a way, the beginnings of the project are quite personal. Like, it's really connected to my personal grief around loss of culture, um, imminent death Mm -hmm. of culture. Um, But it's um, what I see more and more as well as um oh, things like this is connected to other works that I've made that are around looking at where power lies mm. the pace of things making yeah. space for transition at the the in the, in the way that people need transition to take place i thought that was interesting what you're saying about the commissioned artworks for the extension of the northern line you know people need time very often like we're organic beings
1: Mm, and
0: we need time to process things in a very physical sense very often like allow our bodies to catch up um to where our minds are or something (laughs) um so I, I I and I would say that it's probably taken me this point in my life um I'm now 50 to feel confident enough to make a work that is um about something that is so you know very overtly about something that is very important to me and is about to an extent Mm. claiming a space um and there's something in that that connects to what you were speaking about earlier to do with cultural capital as well and how we live within the very particular society and moment that we live in in Britain and um, then our of course our own individual backgrounds and thinking about how we can shift um, to meet our own ambitions and yet also consider what has groomed those ambitions Um, how we're as a very young person I, I really believed in meritocracy you know I really believed Mm. if I worked hard Mm -hmm. at school things could improve
1: (laughs) yeah well that's you know it's um that's completely part of not so much maybe now but that was part of my parents you know the immigrant kind of um sort of mentality they were invested in meritocracy because there was a real kind of belief that would sort of shift your you know social um, status depending on sort of you know where you were um, when you immigrated but I I completely see cultural capital related to ideas of class and social mobility as well Um, and that's yeah it's really interesting for you to kind of talk about it like that. And also just very much I was thinking,
0: I mean, like with any projects as well that are about engaging with people, asking people to share something and to like be interested in what you're doing. Like I've long felt like I don't see why anyone should be interested in art. And yet there are constantly these agendas around, you know, expanding audiences and, um, mm. you know, what. Why should those audiences be interested in coming to an art space or engaging with an art conversation? Um, and yet then, of course, I'm an artist really wanting to find out people's views and experiences about, um, about Cornish cultural identity. And it's really hard mm to engage people in those conversations and i've had to really challenge myself and go into like out of my comfort zones from being it's really nerve-wracking you know uh not just making work on your own in a studio yeah
1: yeah and I can't help but think, like, you know, you're doing it at such a particular moment, and what I mean by that, and I know we kind of touched upon it when we initially um, spoke about what we might focus on, um, and, you know, it's it's particular to the Brexit moment because I know this sounds really strange. You know, I've been going to Cornwall on holiday for over two decades, but it was only, Cornwall only came up in my kind of, um, I guess kind of in more of a kind of... Um, sort of my kind of consciousness when in the run-up to and brexit because it was being affected or like you know its communities were in a different way to other parts of you know the uk and i think it's really interesting um thinking about yeah cornish identity now in this political you know particular moment and yeah in the context of that as well Oh, definitely um it, yeah, I think it's um,
0: like, yeah, because I am Cornish and I've never, it, never questioned that. It just it is a fact of me. I feel like I'm in a good position to be able to use it. Yeah, and I think there now, you know, there are particular times when there's a sense of responsibility to make use of what one has to perhaps influence a conversation or influence change or at least influence a moment to have that conversation to pay attention to something um
1: yeah but so that makes me think there you know um so you know going back to kind of placemaking and the way that we work you as an artist me as a um you know curator and now educator there is like um Responsibilities, you know. So you're doing this project. Yes, it's you know it's come from a personal place, and of course there's going to be, you know, a personal process that you're going through, which is going to be really enriching. But you know, throughout all of this, there feels like there's a sense of responsibility as well. And I feel I feel that's been kind of maybe that's what we have in common because the more I've done this type of work, working outside of galleries and museums, and it's a lot easier because it's a you know, it's a contained space of like, there's variables, but those variables are known. And as soon as you start working with kind of um, communities, there's a different sense set of ethics that you have to think about, which have always been important to me, but there's a different sense of responsibility and understanding your kind of role in, you know, personal relationships, power dynamics and Yeah at its best we can use our cultural capital to do that in a sensitive way but it's always something I'm very aware of. And so when you when you look back on
0: kind of that work with biennials that are very Mm. invested in or certainly were at points in their lifetimes um, invested in sort of being broken up and and spreading out into the community and yes. and place you know being in different places and being open and um and I guess opening up those cities and places to visiting publics hmm. how do you feel about them now looking back through a sort of lens of 2022
1: yeah I think I- it really yeah a good question i think you know a lot of that work was still valid i was thinking about um two up two down which was um a project where um young people and communities from Anfield and Everton were involved in um the regeneration of a street which was made up of two up two down houses that were all boarded up and they knew that some form of regeneration was coming and they were going to be involved. So it was all about making um, the communities involved and having a say. And it was done really well and sensitively. And my contribution for that was just um, working with a funding team to get some funding. I was still learning about all this work. Um, And it, you know, it feeds into all the things that we've been talking about, um, just in terms of where's the power in those relationships who decided when that project was going to um um, close you know what what skills were the young people um being given were they being instrumentalized in you know an art project which was of its time but that all of that said i just i feel like what i liked about it was that um the biennial was invested in um, the learning, and I guess like the um, trouble that might have kind of come with that project as well. I know that sounds strange, but I, I kind of like using you know um, Donna Haraway's staying with <laughs> staying with the trouble, you know, and the fact that they kind of knew it was a very different way of working for them. Um, so I still look back at Two Up Two Down, which is really of its time, um, but also like a bit of a prelude to how places like Create which is an organization based in London who also um use kind of art to think about how you empower communities to think about sort of their culture and you know ideas of place um that's yeah so it still feels important but of its time you know that work kind of needed to be done to then sort of help our kind of thinking of what works and what doesn't Mm -hmm. i don't know where those young people have gone to but they were being um they were be working with architects to gain real skills so you know there's all those types of art projects where where the communities are Mm -hmm. given real skills and we can be really um yeah you can find that really problematic as Mm. well so some of it um yeah, I, I need more time to unpack and think mm. about. But I think that's a good example because I was 100% behind it and I thought it was amazing that they were taking sort of art out of the centre of the city and thinking, well, what can we do? You know, we know these areas are changing. Let's have a conversation and let's bring the communities with us. And just how consultation took place. Um, there was a bakery that was set up um, in the yeah. centre of a community, it was just sensitively done. And even now, like you know, things shift and change, and so does discourse and practice. I think it would be done differently uh, for that period. Um, yeah, it was important work. Mm-hmm.
0: And um, there seems to be a time right now that there's generally um, a lot more attention paid to that kind of work as well. Mm. Like, it feels like that's more, um, for for artists and perhaps for um, emerging artists or students leaving college, like, there's more access to um, making that kind of work or talking about that kind of work and thinking about, um, just because we're sort of coming to time, Mm. uh, leading on from that, could you, how... Do we because I often talk about my practice as like expanded sculpture. It very much okay. sits within a sculptural sensibility around I don't know the physicality of it or how I map it. But um I can find it quite also sometimes myself I think how can I possibly hold this together as like one artwork? Look at all these different aspects of it. Um how do you sort of manage that in terms of um how you think or perhaps talk about
1: work like that. Yeah. I think it depends who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, that's a skill that you kind of um sort of learn as a curator, right? Um you you're working as a conduit, interpreter, interlocker, all these kind of words, but it's about um the audience i'm talking to and how i have to frame something so to myself in terms of what i'm doing it's all kind of in- interconnected and again going back to that text that you asked me to read which is amazing you know it's more like an ecosystem or a cosmology of thoughts ideas they're connected that you know or i'm they're interconnected and one relies on the other i'm not going to explain that to <laughs> to everyone because it's not going to make sense um and then i'll i'll use the language of like you know of the kind of world that we exist in to if i'm talking to funders or like um communities um and i think language becomes um quite important in that because some of some of what you were saying expanded sculpture it means nothing yeah. to my next-door neighbor <laughs> they're like oh that's nice but if you let's talk about it in different ways You know, I like thinking about materials uh, and how they kind of, you know, have like a kind of physical resonance, but a spiritual one, a psychic one. And, you know, I like talking to people about that, you know, and I want to start conversations because I think that has value. Um, So that's my approach. And in a way, it's about um, putting on different hats when you're kind of explaining these um, things. And some of... You know, I love curatorial discourse and rigor and conversation, but I know that that might—that's for a certain kind of um, audience or peers. And then there's a different conversation I'm going to have. So it's about relevance, and I don't know if that's answering mm. what you were asking. So no, Because definitely. otherwise, we're always going to get ourselves in knots. And I think some sometimes, you know, it's yeah, it's not it's not kind of relevant unless you know we're talking about questions of kind of value because you know are we equating what we're doing do we have to explain it to kind of prove it has value and i'm not kind of interested in that because I, i feel essentially you know we're creative beings and that um, you know, culture is how we talk about how we have existed in, in the world. And that's why, you know, throughout different civilizations, there's been culture and like creativity. Mm-hmm. So does that sound really cheesy? No, I, I was just
0: thinking about, I suppose, I was just thinking about those terms and the mm. again the kind of where the edges and boundaries are yeah. of a term like cultural capital, yeah. placemaking. Um, or expanded sculpture and then yes. actually that like through that v- Vanessa Woods text thing you know that notion of place thought or that um thinking being that is mm. um is something that is much more around um yeah giving space and time and perhaps lots more words <laughs> Yeah. And yeah. maybe a sit down with a cup of tea and a biscuit to talk about yeah. like, okay, well this is how we can get our heads around um what what that artwork is or what that that sort of planner's ambition is or you know, yeah. just just that, that whole sort of it's about um perhaps perhaps brevity and efficiency in in the terminology isn't the most accessible
1: no i um i like what you're doing also because you're connecting those things that we've been discussing and i always um i you know i wanted to bring those words placemaking and cultural capital to this conversation just to think through it in terms of um what relevance it's kind of had working as a kind of curator and you know and personally what it's meant and then you think about um the text and place thought you know it's it's kind of um i guess kind of encapsulating and encompassing and occupying a very different you know i'd say psychic space which um i i said before you know is is calling for a different type of paradigm in a way of seeing the world and being in the world but i think you're completely right you can bring a methodology into what we're already doing and I do think that's about um duration and I know slow even slowness feels so cheesy Mm. but it's still relevant and important um yeah so I feel those things are very kind of relevant and I always go back to it as well and also seeing people as a resource and not in a kind of capitalist kind of what can we extract but you know each other are our, our, our storytellers you know there's kind of knowledge there there's embodied knowledge there and it's our role as artists or curators, support if we bring communities into projects sort of working out how we support that to happen in an organic and respectful way that's useful for them and not just useful for us mm-hmm. as you know creating art projects or working on things
0: yeah definitely I, I totally agree thank you so much Amon Pruitt really no thank
1: you I feel like I've been um yeah waffling on
0: but that's what you invited me
1: to do <laughs> I so am- I love
0: it I invite <laughs> meandering conversation <laughs> <laughs> and that's um exactly what's happened what happens in the um, rubbish sculpture and conversation workshops Amazing. we we meander that. meander around rubbish sculptures and conversation at the same time so yeah I, I find those spaces really fruitful and enjoyable um
1: yeah just very quickly it made me think so I've been thinking a lot about deep listening and um and when I was in Banth in 2015 I went to a few talks led by um the Indigenous Leadership Program, and I entered the room and there was just silence, and then there was a bit of talking for five minutes, and I'm like, oh, what's happening here? I'm I'm really confused, and I just, just such a different mode of kind of meandering, listening, being, and just understanding how, how to kind of just be together, and I, you know, I read and sometimes I talk to extrapolate and share as quickly as I can, But I don't know if I'm ever listening, and it really has supported me. So this is a research interest of mine. (laughs) Excellent. um, And I'm I'm trying to embody it as well, like deep listening. So when you're talking about meandering, it's so important because I I think there's a, it's a closer to stillness that you can let your kind of body and your thoughts just wander a bit, which is important. So, but thank you, Sophie. Thank you so much.
0: A uh, real pleasure. Yeah,
1: thank you. And thank you for listening.
0: Miraz, Agas Goslowis, thank you for listening. Further episodes of the Mescla Briandruis podcast can be found on my website, Sobe Berryman. .co.uk. That's S.O.V.A.Y.B.E.R.R.I.M.A.N. ncouk where you'll also find guest biographies and a resource page of links to further reading on the topics discussed. If you feel inspired to join the Mesca conversation about contemporary Cornish cultural identity, Please get in touch with me, Seve Berryman, via my website or social media. You'll find Mescla on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. The Mescla podcast and project has been made possible due to a wealth of in-kind help and support from many parties, including the Wendeperrin Festival, Gorseth Kurnay... Cornwall Council's Cornish Language Office, San Yeth Canuic, Cresencurney, Cornwall Neighbours for Change, and Falmouth University Falmouth Campus. The project has been supported using public funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England, and further funding has been gratefully received from Historic England by Redreath Unlimited. Agas Terman. Agasquellus. Thank you for your time. See you later.